You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Uh, last week, I didn't preach a message. I wasn't ready. I didn't feel like I was ready. There are a lot of confusing things going on in Romans, and there are equally confusing things going on when you're trying to read Romans in light of everything else in the Bible. One of the struggles for me is that Romans seems to bring everything down in Christianity to a way you think, whereas the rest of the Bible, especially in the Gospels with Jesus, has a lot to do with what you do with your life. So I've been trying to like figure out like this balancing act really for my entire life because I've always seen these different things being said in the Bible. Uh, sometimes when people see two opposite, almost extremes, like you just have to believe, you just have to do something, people will throw out one or the other. And I feel like the church has loved Paul so much that Jesus's way seemed really hard, doesn't always feel very nice or or easy, let's toss that one out and just go with Paul who says all you have to do is think a certain way. Whereas me, I don't think we get to toss anything out. When I come across different extremes in the Bible, I've got to like work really hard to figure out the balance to it. That's what I've been doing, so here's a message two weeks in the making, and it's going to be unbalanced. <laughs> because we still have the entirety of Romans to go through. What I'm going to get into tonight is just one part of the conversation. Then we have to get into the other side to see how it all works together. So if you end up missing some of the other messages, at least try to go to the podcast if you can. Otherwise, you'll leave with a very unbalanced message because I already have too much to cram just into this one. So with that being said, um, one of the things for me uh, is the struggle with what Jesus said. When Jesus talks about judgment, he's a little hardcore. Like It's not exactly the simple, like, Oh, you just got to think a certain way to get into heaven. He's got a lot more going on for him. So we're going to jump into a few of his passages and read quite a bit here. Stick with me. Uh, But one one of the ways we'll start off is with one of his parables, in which he calls people to actually do something with what he's given them. This parable is one of the more straightforward parables. There's some confusing ones out there. I think this one's pretty easy to follow. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. This was back then, if you had like a treasure, you would actually hide it in the ground, remember where it was. You didn't have like concrete safes, you know, so this was one of the ways in which you you buried your treasure, right? Uh, Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here. I made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here, I made two talents more. Well done, his master said to him. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seeds. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, uh, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, uh, for to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not a pleasant parable. Doesn't get preached on in church super often. Because we don't like these kinds of words. But the parable seems pretty straightforward. It's the idea of like Jesus is about to be resurrected. So he's giving the Holy Spirit. He's giving talents. He's investing in the church. And then he's taken off to heaven. And when he comes back, he's going to see, what have we done at the day of judgment? What have you done with what was given to you? And those who have taken it and been fruitful and made more will be brought into heaven. In fact, Jesus tells him, well done, good and faithful servant. Where else do we find that? Parable of the sheep and the goats. It's the same judgment scene. Well done, good and faithful servant. But then there's this Christian, it seems, this churchgoer, this person with the Holy Spirit, this person with giftings given to him, to his ability, who did nothing the whole time. And when Jesus comes back, he sees that person and likens their destiny to the words that have always gone in Jesus' teaching with hell. Outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, it doesn't seem like just thinking of his master was enough. He was required to do something. Sheep and the goats, of course, like I just quoted, was another one, right? When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, we did not see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink. And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did this to the least of one of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. 
And these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It's interesting, because from the way that the church has always phrased salvation, what I would expect this parable to go like is Jesus to come before all the nations and say, all right, who believed I was real? (laughs) Hands up. Mm, Okay, you come over here. Welcome to eternal life. The rest of you, you thought I wasn't a real person. (laughs) Or you didn't think I was God. and You didn't believe I died for your sins, all those things. Okay, you're out. That's not actually what Jesus says. Instead, in this passage we all know very well, Jesus looks, he's like, what's your good works look like? Did you take care of people? Did you perform my mission? Did you bring heaven to Jackson, to the earth? Did you go to do the things that I called you to do? Because if you didn't, that's the litmus test. You're not in. But if you did, welcome to the kingdom of heaven. But then we might say, but yeah, but Jamin, it really is just what you believe. That's what gets you in. But Jesus himself has already talked about that too. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, double emphasis on the Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's another hard passage. I remember talking with a pastor about this many, many years ago, and we're like, oh yeah, that's in reference to false prophets. And that doesn't work with me. Like, false prophets are doing miracles in the name of Jesus? (laughs) By the power of the Holy Spirit? That's not jiving with the theology of the Bible for me. So what's actually going on here? And I think you see it matches up with the other things that Jesus said. There are these people who uh, have been given the talents, been given the Holy Spirit, but then they're going and, and doing other things. First off, they're workers of lawlessness. So in other words, they're just embracing sin all over the place and not worried about trying to pursue Jesus. Uh, but then on top of that, I don't know about you, but I've seen the Holy Spirit used in many weird ways to like create attention to yourself. Uh, it's, I think you see that with like Elijah uh, or Elisha. No, it's Elijah, right? When he calls fire down from heaven, a power that God has deposited into him, and then God has to tell him to stop because that's not what that was there for. Same thing like here. I think you see people who are gifted with the talents, with the Holy Spirit, and then they misuse it. Or they use it in weird ways. Uh, Or they're drawing attention to themselves. Either way, their hearts are not for Jesus because when they finally see Jesus face to face at the judgment, Jesus is just like, I don't know who you are. And so we see these these struggles. We could go on, and I'm not going to go forever. Here's a few quick ones. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. What we say matters and draws attention to judgment. Uh, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better that your eye not be on you than to have your whole body thrown into hell. He's going to continue with that. Jesus, of course, is not for mutilation, but he's overemphasizing the point. Like, if you're following me, don't continue in sin. You don't want to be cast into hell. 
Uh, but then Revelation 20, the judgment scene all the way at the end of the Bible. You have all the dead are gathered before Jesus and a book of life is open. And the dead are judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. So when you get into all these passages, they're just glimpses that like, oversimplifying Christianity to you just got to think a certain way doesn't jive well with the Bible in its fullest picture. And I could give more verses when I was like, I really got to figure this out. I started going on a walk with my audio Bible. I was taking notes about how many passages I was coming across that seemed to say you are required to do something with your life as a Christian. And my list before I was in Matthew 20, I was scrolling forever. (laughs) I just kept coming across it, and I haven't even continued that journey past Matthew. It was making its point very early on. But all these passages, they convict me. It's clear that the entirety of our lives matters in some way for the final judgment. And that is not the gospel I have always lived out. Where there are moments where I would rather just live my own way than stop and be like, ah, this matters for for Jesus. That's not even the gospel I've always preached to you. There's been times where I've been on this stage and free grace, free love, don't worry about it, it's all good in the hood. God just loves you and he's not worried about anything you do. Like, yes, of course he loves you. Yes, he's full of grace. But I've probably been one of the people who have also abused that message when I go too far and have no concern as to how we live as Christians. The modern church today preaches that salvation is based on how you think. If you believe in Jesus, that he was God and that he saved you from your sins, you're good. End of story. It's magic Christianity. Magic as in like it's a magical incantation. I prayed the sinner's prayer. I spoke the words out. You know, like it just sounds like some kind of like magic. All right, I'm good. The eternal life is ahead of me because I said certain words. And that's not the kind of Christianity that the Bible paints. And how effective has that technique been? I mean, in Jesus' time, he had just a few people walking with him. And he said, give me your lives. Take up your cross, follow me. And they gave everything for Jesus. And what happened? The whole world was changed. Throughout the last several decades, we have had countless conferences with millions of people rushing to the altar and giving their lives at all kinds of crusades and conferences and Billy Graham crusades, choir of the fire, anything that you can think of. How is it that with millions of people getting saved at altar calls throughout the last hundred years or so, Christianity is dying in America? How can Jesus do it with 12, but we can't do it with millions? I suggest it's partially because of the gospel that we have shared. It's that, hey, we are just here to get you think a certain way. If you believe Jesus is good, you're in. Continue with your lives. We'll see you in heaven. Nothing that you do is that big of a deal now. And that leads people towards not living out a Christian life that picks up your cross and follows Jesus. It leads people a different direction. So it's no wonder to me that we see Christianity dying in America. It's no wonder that 
We see people struggling uh, uh, to see the power of God in them. It's no wonder that we struggle to make an impact on our surrounding areas or that we commit all the same sins as the world when we dive deep into the church. It's no wonder that uh, uh, we'll go to just about anything that's happening in a social environment. We'll put that before we, we consider getting to church. There's plenty of other stuff that would be perfectly fine to just ditch it and go. It's no wonder how many Christians haven't been provoked to think more deeply about Jesus as king and who he is. And so America just becomes Jesus' kingdom and, and whoever's reigning president at the time just becomes the voice of Jesus. And that's not the picture that the Bible paints. Your baptism was your independence day where you broke free of the world and joined the kingdom of heaven, became an ambassador for heaven, became a citizen of heaven. And the rest of your life as a Christian is lived in submission to King Jesus, who gives you talents as he sees fit, deposits into you things, and re- expects return on investment as we continue to follow him. We do all this because we are allegiance to Jesus as our king. We do all this because we are allegiant to the country of heaven, which we are bringing to Jackson. Few people understand that kingdom mentality better than Paul himself, which is why it's probably so hard for Paul as he's looking down at modern Christianity being like, you said I said what? <laughs> uh, because Paul, Paul is the one who always gets pinpointed as the one that we just got to think a certain way. But Paul believed that we had to live a certain way too. We've already seen that in our journey in the last few weeks through Romans. Just last time we preached on Romans, Paul was saying, here's a way in which the world wants to live in all these different kinds of ways, and then here's God. And Paul expected that you can't live in the way that the world is suggesting you live in these millions of different ways. Rather, you are submitted to Christ. So why would Paul start Romans like that and then just say, okay, you're a Christian, you think a certain way, now you can go do all that all you want. No, in today's passage, Paul actually assumes that we will meet our own judgment just like Jesus did. Paul says this, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself? that you will escape the judgment of God. So Paul expects that if we continue in sin, there's judgment in some way ahead for us. Or do you presume on the riches of kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, 
for God shows no partiality. Paul himself has written into his letter to the Romans that we all face that day where God judges our hearts and sees what we've done with the Christian life that we have given allegiance to him. It's not just in Romans either. Um, we'll continue. Let's speed up our time, though. Uh, but he continues, God judges the secrets uh, of men by Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive his due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So, again... Paul's not the only place in Romans where he's going to come up with that. And this thinking that we can just do whatever we want because we're following Jesus, like Paul actually yells about that. Actually, like four different points. He's like, so what? Should we just continue in sin because God's grace is good enough to cover it? By no means. It's like his catchphrase throughout Romans. He constantly comes up and is like, no, of course not. In fact, at one point, he's like real mad about it. He's like, I've heard that somebody has slandered me basically taking my teaching, contorting it, and saying that God's grace is so good that maybe we should just keep sinning so we can experience God's grace all the more because it's so good. And Paul's like, your condemnation is just. (laughs) That's pretty intense. But Paul saw his own message about faith in Jesus being contorted to, I can just live however I want by Paul's teaching. And Paul's like, no. When you face the judgment seat, you're going to find condemnation on the other side. We can't live like that. Paul has been misinterpreted for literally 2,000 years. <laughs> From the, de- the Bible has misinterpretations of Paul. <laughs> That's how long he's been misinterpreted. That in the very book that we have Paul's letters and there are other people trying to be like, what, what are you? Paul himself, like, how, how could you misread this? James, though, he's a big one, right? James is one of the ones who's like, wait, what are you all saying? That you can just do whatever you want because you just need to think a certain way? James is intense. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, without giving them things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. What a way to hit your point home. Hey, you know who else believes that Jesus is Lord and believes that God is real? Demons. (laughs) James is essentially saying, are demons saved because they think the right thing? Because their theology is in the right place? No. They, on the day of judgment, we already know what their judgment is. It's already been declared. So if we live like all we got to do is think a certain way, are we not just doing the same kind of level of Christianity that demons themselves are capable of doing? Our churches need to grow in salvation, not just 12 away, just across the board. We need to continue to push forward. As a free Methodist church, it's part of our historical teaching. John Wesley, 
um, was famous for teaching Christian perfection. We'll talk more about it throughout Romans, but it was the idea that like when you get saved, you're at one place, and now the goal of the Christian journey is to keep moving until you get to another place. We just went through membership with Brian and Kayla, and as we look through that, we come across two different sections. There's a, a what we believe, which is important and keeps us from being heretics, but then there's the B, how we live our lives. And if you've ever gone through the book of discipline and the how we live our lives, there's a lot of stuff that probably all of us are out of sync with because we just need to grow and grow and grow and get better at these things. But it calls us to continue moving forward. And John Wesley saw that as he continued to do this field preaching and people would get saved by the masses, he realized, like, man, I am bringing people to Christ Thousands of people are getting saved, but how am I ensuring that their faith is more than I convince them to believe something? And John Wesley felt convicted about that as he's continuing his own conferences. And he said this in his journals, I think it was his journals, he says, I am more and more convinced that the devil himself desires nothing more than this, that the people of any place shall be made half-awakened, and then left to themselves to fall asleep again. Therefore, I determined by the grace of God not to strike one stroke in any place where I cannot follow the blow. In other words, John Wesley came to this point like, I need a new system that is going to ensure that as people get saved, they also get discipled, because being saved is not enough. Revelation paints that picture. There is hot, there is cold, and there's lukewarm. Or in John Wesley's words, half-awakened. I believe the right things, just like a demon does. But I am neither far away from God or close to God. I'm the person who was given the one talent who went and buried it. John Wesley was convicted that this was not okay. And as a part of his ministry, he had to do something more. One of the things that he did is he started bands, which we will be starting in August. So here's what I'm asking you to consider if you want to join a band just commit to uh it's a it's 12 weeks but really it's six because it's every other week okay so from august to september october from august to three months later um there there will be gatherings of uh, uh just getting together for an hour and these are the questions that you ask around the room one how's it with your soul two What are your struggles? What are your successes? Three, what sins do you need to confess? Four, what secrets are you keeping? Five, what has the Holy Spirit been saying to you? Now, I've always known about bands. (laughs) But I was like, I'm never going to offer that. Who's going to show up to tell me all your secrets? You know, like, just not expecting anyone to be interested in that. But then as I watch the church today, I realize, like, especially in the pandemic, whatever crap we had going on before the pandemic hit, tell me it's not like a hundredfold right now. Whatever secrets we had before the pandemic hit, tell me that they didn't either burst in the middle of it or they're just still getting worse and worse. There's pressure on us because we don't leave space in the church these days to talk about our lives and to grow. And things like what John Wesley made was he made it because it was while we can be assured that through faith in Jesus we are saved by his righteousness, we also can continue to flee the wrath to come by confessing to one another and growing. 
So consider it in August, six weeks over the course of 12 weeks, where you just meet for an hour and you can be as honest or raw as you want on these, or you can at least go and just hear everybody else's confessions and eventually be convinced that you'll want to give into it too. I've been to recovery groups like this before in my own life. Trust me, once people start spilling their guts, you want to do the same. It's so healthy and beneficial to you. All right. Um, Don't worry, I'm getting ready to close. Another thing to keep in mind, just real quick, uh, treasures in heaven. I know it sounds kind of like cheesy, uh, but the Bible actually does communicate through several different verses that how you live right now will affect your life in the afterlife. Now, we're talking about heaven, new heavens, new earth. It's going to be great, (laughs) okay? It doesn't, like, when you get there, it's going to be great. But Jesus does talk about storing up treasures in heaven rather than treasures right now. In other words, like, you can, there's more to come the more obedient you are to Jesus right now. That was in the parable of the talents, right? To the one who has been given some and was obedient, more is given to them. That was right there in the, that, that, that story. Top of that, Luke 14, Jesus says that God will uh, reward people at the resurrection. Uh, the parable he puts up is like, not even a parable. He says, hey, when you have a party, invite some poor people over. They're not going to pay you right now, but when you get to heaven at the resurrection, God will see what you did back then, and he will make good on it at that point. It's this idea like you are storing up treasure in heaven. 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about how uh, ministries that can withstand trials, there will be reward for them at the end of that. Um, So don't get me wrong. Heaven is great for everyone because it's heaven. But obviously, it seems to me that there's a little bit more to be given to some. And this takes us back to Revelation. We preached on Revelation recently, and I never knew what to do with this passage, except for in light of kind of today's message. At the end of Revelation... There's thrones set up, and seated on those uh, were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. This is heaven, and it seems like Jesus has chosen some specific people based on their lives on earth and empowered them with something more in heaven. So you already see this reward above and beyond just being a good Christian. Uh, You also see, also, I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their forehead or their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. Nobody really knows what to do with this passage, but I'm just going to put out one proposal. What if those who are beheaded, in other words, those who cut their life short on earth by giving their all to Jesus... When the resurrection life comes, Jesus looks to those, hey, you gave the ultimate sacrifice, and so you get the ultimate reward. You're coming back early with me to set up the resurrected planet. If, if it's true, if it's not some kind of revelation symbolism, which there's lots of that, but if it is just straight what it's saying, tell me, would you feel weird about that in heaven? Because I wouldn't. I'd be bummed. I want to go. <laughs> but these people died. 
it would make sense to me that they get the biggest reward of all. Someone walked up to them and said, do you believe in Jesus and will you follow him even if I kill you right now? And they said, yes. And Jesus rewards that to a bigger extreme than he does to everybody else. As we close out, make sure you hear me right. I totally believe that we are saved by our faith in Jesus. Okay? We are a free Methodist church. Here's what we believe. Good works are the fruit of faith in Jesus Christ, but works cannot save us from our sins, nor from God's judgment. As expressions of Christian faith and love, our good works performed with reverence and humility are both acceptable and pleasing to God. However, good works do not earn God's grace. That is not antithetical. It is not the opposite of what I have been saying today. I believe that we have been defining faith in the wrong way. Now, when Paul's talking about faith, he's not just talking about a way we think. Faith is our allegiance to Christ. It's what we do with our lives. And the church for so long has been afraid to talk about good works because, oh, we don't want people to think that they can earn their salvation. That's just a gift. But the response, the biblical response to that gift is that we then lean into the salvation we've been offered and give back to God. And if we don't do that, I think we've seen in the passages we looked at today, the gift is rescinded. Not usually a message you hear in church. Uh, And we're not done. There's a lot more to say because now we have to get into faith, right? We don't have time for that today. So, again, if you can't make it to future messages, uh, try to listen to the podcast so you can get the full balanced look at what's going on in Romans. Um, But I just want to be honest with myself. If this is true, that how we live our lives actually does matter after we've been saved, well, then the church may have done a lot of damage by preaching something that's just think a certain way like a demon does and you're all good who knows how many people that we have accidentally created lukewarm lives to and sentenced in a direction towards hell we shouldn't be doing that we need to encourage each other we always need to be growing we always need to be overcoming sin more and more we always need to be looking to bring heaven to earth to bring good works and that is the call of the gospel it's the good news of Christ Good news that if you're on the other side is not very good news at all. So let's live on the side of good news because that's good news to other people. Good works, it's good news to other people. Jesus tells us over and over again, when people see your good works, God shines before them, softens their heart, brings them to Jesus. So, my opinion, works are required and we need to move into that in our faith wherever we go. Two books, uh, if you really want to go a lot deeper into this, they're both by Matthew Bates. The first one is Salvation by Allegiance Alone. Read it this week. It's now my top five favorite books of all time because it finally does a great job at solving this predicament that people have always just taken one extreme or the other but not married them together like I've attempted to do tonight. He then has a sequel to it. You can read either alone. You don't need to read the other one. Gospel Allegiance. Gospel Allegiance is uh, also an audio book. So for those of you who prefer those, you can just go straight to that one. All right, let me pray for you, and I'll let you go. 
God, this is not a message anyone likes to preach. It's not a message anyone likes to hear. Nobody wants to talk about judgment. We want to talk about your love and your grace for us. And all those things are beautiful. All those things are true. All those things are real. But within your love is also the desire to make sure that judgment is carried out right. Because how can you be good if you don't deal with what's bad? God, we don't want to be on the side of bad. We don't want to be on the side of just accepting you as a theological idea and then living however we want. Jesus, we want to live for you in everything, to be hot for you, not lukewarm, not cold. Help us do that. And God, for anyone in here who just has that, like, just complete, like, if, any, if anybody's just, like, entering into a moment of depression over a message like this, I pray that you would leave whatever conviction is good, because we all need that conviction. This message has convicted me a lot and has actually encouraged me more than anything, inspired me rather than brought me down, helps me remember I'm always being seen by God and that I shouldn't just live as though... Uh, This doesn't matter at any given moment. But God, you're not calling us to despair either because the righteousness of Jesus brings us to salvation. We can already hear that well done, good and faithful servant now as we stay allegiant to you and live into you. None of us can judge each other. You are the judge. So we give ourselves over to you and just ask to live better. Help us realize that when we're worried about this, that's good news. Because if we're worried about uh, a message like this, that means that our hearts truly are aimed towards you and we want to be where you call us to be. So help us do that. Holy Spirit, continue to grow in us. Bring us closer to you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, we will continue this series throughout the next few weeks. Uh, and we will catch you guys Tuesday at the Naps House, Thursday at my house, or next Sunday back here, and we'll catch you later. Thanks.